We are starting a new sermon series today called New Places for New People. And uh, you may just be asking yourself right now, okay, but, uh, but why is there the image of a turtle on the screen? I'm glad you asked. Let's uh, pray and we'll see what we might learn from our friend the turtle. Let's, uh, let's pray. God of all creation, just, Lord, open our hearts and our minds and our souls to your words for each of us this day. Speak to us. Call us anew to be your church. And Lord, just, just show us in and through your word how we might expand Christ's love into our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a question for you, what, is a, what does a turtle do when it senses danger? Right, uh, not a trick question. So it, uh, right, it, it pulls its head into its shell, right? Its arms, its legs, its feet, it just pulls, pulls everything into the shell. It's a really pretty amazing part of nature, right? But do you ever wonder, like, I, I know I ask too many questions, but, uh, but do you ever wonder, like, what happens once the turtle has pulled into the shell? Like, does it get lonely in there? Uh, all by itself, like there's nobody else in there. And, and then, like, how does it know when to come out? Like, if it pokes its head out, it's in danger again. So how does it know? And if, if the predator just hangs out, like, does it just stay, like, tucked into its shell for uh, forever? When life is uncertain, when we sense danger or struggle, when times are tense, I think we human beings have a tendency to pull into our shell kind of like a turtle, don't we? I mean, if we're being honest, when there's conflict or, or struggle, psychological studies show that when we're pressed, particularly in community, not just as individuals, but when we're pressed from the outside as a, as a community, we tend to withdraw, to, to stick to what we know and to, to who we know. And, and, and there's some protection in this. We put up walls and, and we keep people outside because that way we're, we're protected in, in our inner circle. We're, we're, we're in a place where we know we're supported. And, and that's not all bad. When you think about it, like, like, when do we know when to come out? I mean, again, it, it's safer not to let the outsider in because the outsider can, can upset everything. It's, it's safer just to care for one another and, and let others fend for themselves. The truth is, we know from these studies we are wired to belong, to need a community of support and care, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But once we belong, we often tend to cling really tightly to the, the people we know and, and what we know. And it's really easy then to sort of pull in, put boundaries around ourselves, and to, to push out the rest of the world. But as we sit here today, and this is a, a big but as we sit here today, Jesus, Jesus, I think, invites his followers to do something very different than to pull into the community and protect each other. Right? Jesus, at the end of his ministry, he's preparing his followers to go out into the world, a world that's going to be filled with persecution and hardship and even death for some of them. And he knows how hard that world is going to be. And he is getting them ready. 
for what they are going to face, what they're going to face without his bodily presence with them every day. And this is what he says to them in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. He says, God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. This is the message translation, Eugene Peterson's uh, Bible translation of what some many know as the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Right, this, this way of life which Jesus modeled for his followers, it's to, it's to walk with more people toward transforming relationships with him. Make disciples. Some of you have probably heard me say before that the word in Matthew 28 for make disciples, it's not two words. It's not one for make and another for like an object, disciples. It's one word and it means to disciple. And it, it, it conveys this sense of, of Jesus inviting his followers to do what he did, find 10 or 12 people right? And, and form a community and, and do life together. And then teach, teach those who are with you to live as I live, to, to reach out to the, the sinner and the outcast and to, to challenge the things that, that don't represent God's love and to, to, to just spread love everywhere, to heal and, and to welcome people with open arms. Do all of this as a group and then and then when they're ready, send them off to do the same so that this community, this kingdom of my love expands to others. These are the very last words of Matthew's gospel. The very last words Matthew says he shared with his disciples were, were this mission. Okay, I've taught you all I can. Now it's your turn. Go. Go and do as I did. Get out there and disciple others the way that I've discipled you. Pull a few people together. This is the mission that Jesus gives to the church. Right? To walk with more people toward a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. As Clay Church, this is the way that we've put that, that, uh, that great commission into, into our mission, as we understand our mission. This is why we gather as a community. This is who we believe we're called to be, our mission. Let me invite you just to, to read these words on the screen with me, our mission. Our mission is to walk with more people toward a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. That's at the core of who we are. But I think it's probably helpful for us to admit, because as we gather today and as, as we wrestle in this world with everything going on, like, I think it's, it's probably good to admit that it's really easy right now to cave in on ourselves. It's sort of sort of pull back from the world right now. We look out there and we see COVID and, and political tension in the world today, and, and we're, we're busy. We have busy lives and, and lots drawing on our priorities, and some of us are, are dealing with loss or illness or, or family struggles. And like, it just causes us to think, like, wouldn't it be easier just to sort of pull into a community that where we know we're loved and cared for and, and just care for each other for a while and, and stay in, in that community. 
And we look out at the world, and, and like we see problems right here in our own community. We see problems in our schools and struggles in our schools, and we see, we see shootings in the street, and we see abject poverty that has been there for generations, and we think, I, I don't know that I can do anything. Like, what hope is there there? And so it, it's easier just to, you know, we're going to take care of the people right, right here around us. And yet... And yet when we pause and think about it, like we're all here today because somebody took the time to introduce us to the love of Jesus and how it could transform our lives, how it gives hope and, and joy. And, and how, would, how would we know that Jesus could transform our love if, if somebody hadn't shared that? How would others, look around the room at others, and how would others know that, that love? There are some who certainly learned it from their parents, but there are others here who learned it from somebody in the, in the church who shared it with them. How would we get through the difficult times ourselves if, if there weren't more people here who, an expanding community of, of people who, who knew that the church was here in difficult times because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for all of us? How could we be the church for more and more people if, if all we were doing was, was sticking together and taking care of each other? And we could ask the question this way, like, like what, would, what would the church look like? What would it say about Jesus if, if those of us who are followers of Jesus ignored the homeless person, walked by them on the street, thought homeless youth was somebody else's problem? Thought the problems in schools or the shootings in the street were just somebody else's problem. What would Jesus look like if, if the church turned away people whose, whose beliefs or understanding looked different, that had different social or political views? What the church looked like if, if it was ignoring the real hurts that are out there? What would the church be if, if we gave up on the areas that seemed dry? or hopeless, or, or even, even dead. Jesus' invitation to the disciples, it, it served as a, as a call to, to recognize that our invitation from Jesus isn't just to strengthen our social circles, although we certainly do that because that's the foundation for the ministries that we do, but it's to constantly expand those circles to bring new life and hope to more and more of the world, to more and more people. We might just pause here to think about this. That Jesus' invitation isn't just, he didn't call the 12 together, right? He didn't call the 12 disciples together and then, and then just before he was going to go off, he said, okay, just, you know, like wall yourselves off in a room and stick together and look out for each other. Don't worry about all those people out there. You're going to need to protect each other. No, he, he sent them out. He said, be, be fearless and go spread this good news and this word because it will spread because the world needs this love that you're holding on to. So get out there and get out there and go. Our invitation from Jesus isn't, isn't just to strengthen our social circles, although that's part of who we are. It's to it constantly expand them to bring new life and hope to the community around us. Ezekiel was a prophet in the uh, 6th century BC. His name 
It's always fun if you're reading a prophet and you're like, I'm not sure how, how I understand all of this. Um, look up the prophet's name and see what the name means, because lots of times the name of the prophet can give you insight into sort of the, the, what he's talking about, what, what this prophet is called to do. In this case, Ezekiel's name means God strengthens. What a great name, God strengthens. And Ezekiel had these visions, and, and one of the most famous visions that Ezekiel has um, is in chapter 37. And it's been sort of made famous by the, some of you know the song Dem Bones or Dry Bones uh, is the, I think, the actual title of the song. But it's this incredible vision of the valley of dry bones. We're just going to, I'm going to read this to you today. I, I did not put the words on the screen. I just want you to, to listen to them. Imagine like you used to hear a children's story with the, just with the detail in the story itself. Ezekiel writes, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And just a note here, it doesn't just say dry. It's like the bones were very dry, like think really long time dead. Then Ezekiel says, he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, no, they're really dead, not a chance. And for those of you who don't know the story, I'm joking here. That's not what he said, right? But we look at this valley of dry bones and we think, like, that can't come back to life. It's just dead. But Ezekiel's answer is a little different. He doesn't dive in. He's not like, yes, God, I know you can do this. Ezekiel says something really important. We're going to pick the story back up. I promise to read it right this time. It says, he, the Lord, asked me, Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? I said... Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then the Lord said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. 
You just imagine that story like on the big screen. Ezekiel's vision takes place when the people of God, Israel, they're, they're scattered. They've been invaded by the Babylonian Empire, and they are, they are scattered throughout the empire. Right? The Babylonian Empire came in, and in order to control the land, they took out anybody with means, anybody with education, and they, they scatter them out, and they make them slaves in other households throughout the empire. The people of Israel are scattered. And you can just imagine like being upended from your home and, and being in a strange new place where you don't even know the, the language, and you're trying to hold to your faith and, and figure out what it all means and, and what to do, and, and you're losing hope. Right? They're asking, how can, how can life ever be what it was? Because the temple's gone and everything we knew is, is gone. Everything we know has changed. Right? They were stuck and their faith was drying up because they didn't have a temple anymore. And they were, they were looking at a past that was filled with failures, either their own or their ancestors. And they were looking for a present where they didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do next. And they were looking at a future that just seemed to be without any hope. And this... This is the people that Ezekiel is speaking to with this vision. And at the heart of it is this, God isn't absent. Right? Those bones may have been very dry, but God wasn't finished yet. God isn't absent and God isn't finished yet. Do you ever feel like there just isn't hope? Like what you do doesn't matter or an area of the, the world that you look at and you think, I just, I just don't know that there's any hope there. Well, here's what we can say. The Holy Spirit is still there and God isn't finished yet. To us, things may seem dead and hopeless. But not for the Holy Spirit. If we bring that to present times, like we can look around at the world. I can't name it for you, but, but look around at the world today and, and like some of you are, are seeing addictions in family members or loved ones. You, you, you see pain in, in broken relationships. Some of us can look out and see the declining influence of the, of the church in the world today. We look at extreme poverty. We look at struggles in our schools. We look at shootings in our community and, and it, we, we look out and Right? We do, we see dry and, and, and places that look dead. And Ezekiel's vision invites us to look again and go, but all hope is not lost because God's spirit isn't gone. And as Ezekiel tells his story, he tells it with this, with this other detail that we, that we ought to notice. I wonder if he wanted those of us who read or heard his vision to notice something else. Who brought life to the valley of dry bones? And it's not a trick question, right? God brings life to the valley of dry bones. But how does God do it? Through Ezekiel. Right? God doesn't say, hey, Ezekiel, watch what I can do. God says, Ezekiel, I'm going to do something amazing and I want you to be a part of it. You have a role to play in this. Right? All I need you to do is speak the words of hope and possibility. 
speak into this place that the Holy Spirit is still there and working. And then, and then watch, watch what I can do. Ezekiel's invited into this. And, and his answer, remember, his answer wasn't emphatic. It's not like, God, I believe you can do all this. Right? Sometimes we tiptoe in. Ezekiel seems to tiptoe in. He's like, okay, God, only you know what you can do. But then he does it when, when God says, okay, go and, and share my word of hope into this place. He does it. He speaks it. He shares the vision. He shares what God can do. I love this moment in the story. It's like, Ezekiel, prophesy and watch what I can do. Martha and Tim and Laura, watch what I can do. And if you feel left out by those names, I can't do everybody's name in here. Watch what I can do. I know things may seem bleak, just, just pronounce my presence. Affirm that I can do things you can't imagine. And then speak my word of hope and promise and see what I can do. So what are the dry places around us? What are the dry places around you? Invited as you, as you walk through life right now, like what? Where, where do you see dry places in lives and communities, workplaces? And do you believe that God can bring new life to those places? And if so, how can we speak words of hope in life? One more fascinating piece of this vision in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, I mean. If you uh, go back and read chapter 37, and I hope you'll do that today, just go back and, and read those first 14 verses and, and pay close attention, and you'll see that God invites Ezekiel to prophesy three times. Three times. First, he says, prophesy to the dry bones. Then he says, prophesy to the breath or to the wind, depending on how it's translated. And then the third time, it says, prophesy to the people, the people of Israel. And now you may be sitting there being like, I, okay, so what does this look like? We, we've got this sermon series about new places for new people, and, and I'm going to invite all of us to think about what does that look like for us as a church to, to not cave in in these challenging times, but to, but to go out and to spread life and hope into the world. What does that look like as individuals? What does that look like as a church? And you may be like, how do we even begin? Like, where does that even start? Well, Ezekiel's prophesying might have a key for us. Because listen to this progression, right? First, prophesy to the dry bones. God takes Ezekiel to see the place, to name the place where there's, where, where there's death, where it looks hopeless. Name that place. Name the places around us that seem dried up or dead with little hope or life. And Ezekiel is taken there, like we're invited to go there, to be present there. And that may not even be going out of your way. It is, it's just paying attention in our life. Where's, where's the life right now that just around you that seems to be drying and, sh and shriveling up because there's, there's no hope for somebody, that, somebody you know that you pass every day, or maybe it's in your workplace, or maybe it's in the community somewhere you pass every day. It's just naming those places and then showing up there, joining in conversation there and listening and learning and, 
and gaining empathy and, and building relationships. Step one. And then Ezekiel is invited to prophesy to the breath. The word there in Hebrew is ruach. You want to say that with me? You got to get kind of the at the end. It's ruach. Very good. I'll have you speaking Hebrew in no time. Um, ruach is the word, and it, it can mean breath, it can mean wind, it also means Holy Spirit. Right? God is saying, Ezekiel, speak to the Holy Spirit that brings life and, and breath. It's an invitation to pray. Right? Go knowing the Spirit, the Ruach, is already present in that dry place, in that almost dead place, and let the Spirit move through you, and then watch for signs of how the Holy Spirit is working. Pay attention to the nudges. In those dry places, it's not dead. God is still at work. God may just nudge you to speak life and hope into that place. And then the third step, prophesy to the people without hope. Right, the third step, finally, is, is just speak to those that you encounter along the way, to the individuals, to the, to the communities. Speak of hope and of restoration of, of God's promise. For, uh, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to explore the Bible for, for guidance in how we might answer the call of Jesus to expand the love of God. And we're going to think about this question in new places for, for new people. We're going to draw on Jesus for that, for that word of hope that we can share and, and think about how do, we, how do we speak it into our world? How do we speak of hope? to the world. So to get us started, like some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, well, I don't know a lot of people outside of my church circles or my social circles and I don't even know where to begin and introverts are like, I don't like to talk to strange or new people anyway. How, how, does this, how does this work? I just want to invite us to take a first step today. With, the, with this vision of Ezekiel in front of us, just to take a first step today and, and say a a prayer each day this week. And the prayer is this, God, multiply your kingdom through me. Every morning when you get up this week, uh, pick something that you do every day. Maybe, maybe it's when you get in the shower, if you do that every morning, or if you have breakfast every morning, or have a cup of coffee every morning. Pick that moment and just, just say this prayer in that moment. God, multiply your kingdom through me. Say it two or three times. God, multiply your kingdom through me. And then just pay attention. The first step, just, just pay attention to what God shows you in the course of your day. Where are the dry places that you encounter in, in, your, daily, in your daily walk? Where, where's, the, where's the Spirit nudging you in your daily walk? Just pray this prayer and just be open this week to what God may say in and through this vision of Ezekiel, these words of God, through the Holy Spirit in your life. And let's, uh, let me invite you to just say this prayer with me. Would you say these words? God, multiply your kingdom through me. And as we launch into this week and just pray this, pray this prayer and see what God's going to do, let me invite you to stand. And let's pray this prayer one more time together. God, multiply your kingdom through me.